When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Imran. So yeah, wish you all a happy new year. Uh, we have been delayed since the last podcast, various reasons. Imran was uh, rudely taking a holiday. Uh, I've also been away ill. Then Storm Henk crashed my internet. I've not had any internet for three days. Only got it back today. Um, but yeah. We're, we're, we're back. We're back here. We're recording on what day are we? Still in that Christmas period and working it's Friday. Friday, yeah, yeah, Friday, nearly on the weekend. Yeah, recording on Friday. We're in this kind of it's kind of like a winter break, I guess. It's supposed to be a winter break after our quite ridiculous December schedule. We had eight matches. We actually covered four of them on the last pod. There was three losses with the one win against Chelsea, and we'll be covering four games on this pod because yeah, December was crazy for us. Eight matches in a month. Uh, slightly, slightly improved this one with only two losses away to uh, West Ham and Forest. Uh, the win against Villa, comeback win, and the draw at Anfield. Um, so, yeah, I guess slight improvement on where we're at that month. But, you know, we said at the start of December that this month is the absolute vital one. It's going to decide everything. Is Ten Hag going to still be in a job after it? At the moment, looks like he still is, even though, yeah, you can't say... It was the greatest record this December. Uh, you know, we dropped back in the title race. We crashed out of the Champions League. So, yeah, not good, not good. We will get into all that soon enough. The other big, big news, of course, was New Year's Eve. Uh, not New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve. We had uh, this big news that finally, finally, after 400 days, the Jim Ratcliffe deal was finally approved. Uh, so it's like official. The statement went out. He's buying 25% of the club. And we, yeah, we'll go into more details about that in the next part of the podcast as well. But look, let's start with some of the football. I mean, United have kind of ruined my Christmas. I know you were away. I can't remember when exactly you came back. Did you manage to watch it and ruin all your holiday while you were traveling around? Uh, I was back on Christmas Day. I actually managed to watch all our games bar the second half of the Bournemouth game. But we don't need to talk about that. That was a long time ago. Um, that was the worst one of the lot. I was at, That's one of the ones I was at at Old Trafford. And it's definitely one of the worst of the whole month. The, the worst. No, I'd say I, that is the, wee, the worst out of a yeah, yeah. long list of bad results. I came back on uh, Christmas Day specifically so I could go to the Villa game on the Boxing Day. Um, <laughs> which turned out to be a wise move, actually, because it was probably the best game of the season at Old Trafford so far. 
Um, yeah, probably. There was also that Forest comeback, uh, late Brentford in terms win. Of enter- like, in terms of it being an entertaining game, um, I think we played better in that game than we did at Forest as well. Against Forest, sorry. Because um, at Forest, we were terrible. Uh, we'll get to that um, <clears throat> soon enough. But yeah, no, I think um, that was a good game, the Villa game. So I was quite happy. There's a lot of positive feeling after the game. But obviously with United, we're a very Jekyll and Hyde side. You don't really want to know what you're going to get from one game to the next and and so it should. But yeah, I was, I was happy I came for the Villa game, at least. Yeah, I mean, earlier in the season, you'd had some kind of terrible record, hadn't you? You didn't see a win for like uh, the first few months. So at least uh, you've been there for, yeah, as I say, arguably the best game at Old Trafford this year. And it is the kind of high point off this run of four matches. I mean, as we finished the last podcast, we were kind of depressed, you know, we'd lost uh, three matches and we were going to Anfield. So we were expecting the worst. But yeah, we did start with that nil-nil draw over there. And I guess we had to be happy with that, right? Oh, it feels like ages ago. But yeah, that was a a solid point, really. Um, a great defensive performance, especially from our two centre-backs, Evans and Varane, who were both excellent, very solid in midfield. For the first time we played, well, the first time pretty much we played two defensive midfielders or two holding midfielders in the game. And hey, look, we looked solid. <clears throat> Yeah, it is crazy that we haven't done that already. You know, uh, everybody's been saying the same, that we're too open in midfield. uh, Play, you know, my new Amrabat, Casemiro's back, throw him in there. But yeah, it's Ten Hag's kind of stuck most of the season to this way he wants to be playing with more one kind of defensive player and two going forward. And it's just, yeah, we've just conceded a ridiculous amount of goals. And this was the first time he went a bit more pragmatic. It was kind of good to see that he does at least have that in his locker because you weren't sure if he was more like, you know, Louis van Gaal style, this is my system, we're sticking to it. Whether we lose 5-0, whatever, we're just sticking with it. But uh, it did change it round and yeah, we had to be happy with that. But yeah, as you say... You have to wonder how much of it was through force though because Bruno was suspended Mm -hmm. and really we only did that. We only had the three midfielders. We only had Amrabat, Menu and... Um, McTominay. I mean, you could say argue um, Hannibal could have come in or whatever, but really, it was always going to be those three midfielders starting. And uh, I think since then, I think Amrabat's picked up an injury, so then he's been available. So then we've been playing the only three midfielders we have in Menu, Ericsson, Bruno, because McTominay was ill. Then McTominay came back, and obviously, then we. It's funny we started off this this wow four game period by playing two holding midfielders, and we ended it by playing zero <laughs> in that second half versus Forest. So you know. Yeah, and everything comes full circle. The midfield is our story of this whole season. It has been the change that Ten Hag has tried to make. And, you know, it has to all go down to him. He did, of course, make that, you know, the most recent game is that Forest game. It was an absolute killer, especially that we came back to 1 1 and still lost it. But yeah, everybody's focused on this second half sub, haven't they? Where he bought on McTominay and kind of gave it, you know, we considered two goals. And I'd say, even if not directly responsible for them he definitely had a hand in these in not either tracking players or not being in the best position and it was that it was those trademark kind of cutback goals again that kill us right yeah i mean it's just the story of our season um there being a giant hole in the middle of the pitch that people can just run through at will um showed in the forest game it showed multiple times this season uh yeah man who wasn't having the best first half in the world but at least he was a presence in there and he was still, I mean, even he himself couldn't do all the work, but he was a presence in there. And then after that, we just completely negated having anything in the middle of that park. And Forrest were allowed 
well, a lot more freedom. They were the much better side in the second half after what was a dire first half, I think, from both sides. I think Forrest then woke up. We only got back into the game because their keeper decided that he couldn't pass a football. Um, and, I mean, you can't really argue with the result. 2-1 was fair at the end of the game. Uh, when that, what was it, 10 minutes injury time came up? I don't think, yeah. I, did you think we were going to come back into it? I really didn't. I mean, Bruno had that one volley from the corner, but other than that, it didn't feel like a game we were creating loads in and I think Forrest were well worth their win. It's just, it's just, that's just the story of our season. Absolute nothing in midfield. It's one of the reasons why I've lost complete faith in Ten Hag. Um, one of many reasons. Um, it just makes no sense to me. Like you can see this happening every game. We're just not doing anything. We're halfway through. The, we're literally halfway through the season now, and we've been conceding the same goal since. I mean, Wolves nearly scored several from cutbacks in that first game of the season. Oh, look, they didn't. They missed loads of chances. And then since then, it's been the story of our season. We just we just keep conceding them. Yeah, I mean, that Forest game, I don't particularly say I thought we deserved to lose. I thought it was a pretty even game, but of both teams being very, very average, that's probably being kind. Uh, I think a draw was probably a fair result in that. Did I think we were going to score in those 10 minutes injury time? Yes, but I always do. <laughs> and uh, I watched that one in the pub and yeah, I'm always still hoping, but it didn't come. Um, you know, there has been a few bright sparks, at least one of them, you know, for me, Rashford's come back and played the best football he's played pretty much all season. Uh, you know, it's from a low base and he's been absolutely terrible. But he, you know, I think he, which game he missed one or two games from illness. And then I think he was back. Uh, I think he came off the bench for Hoyland in the West Ham game and then started, Villa started Forest. And I thought it was the best he's played for a while, basically. Obviously, a nice finish against Forest. Great to get him back on the scoring sheet. I think he did set one up in that Villa 3 2 as well. He did, yeah. No, he was really good against Villa. I mean, that's the Rashford you want to see. Um, not perfect, but much, much better than what we've seen this season. Um, causing all sorts of trouble on that left wing. I think it made a big difference, the fact that he was playing well on the left wing, Ganacho was playing really well on the right wing, and Hoyland was having a good game up front. And, you know, when, when your three attackers are playing well, it's going to have a big difference. However, when you go to the next game and Anthony's starting, then there's a big problem. Um, Anthony should never be starting games of football for us, ever. Like, it just, to me, that's, I say, I'm going to, I'm going to, through this podcast, list things that I think, make me done with Ten Hag and starting Anthony makes me done with him. I think it's a complete sackable offence to start Anthony at this point. He is a terrible, terrible footballer in almost every single way. I mean, we should qualify by saying, yeah, it was a real shame because obviously Rasmus Hoyland finally scored his first Premier League goal. It was a massive goal, the winner against Villa. And, you know, we've come from 2-0 down there with two awful kind of set-piece goals, which again is a story of our season. Uh I actually know somebody who left at half time with that game and I say, yeah, serves him right. He's had been laughed at by a lot of people we knew, but yeah, they left at half time, two nil down. Uh, they didn't see any hope and they left the ground and missed probably the best game of the season. See, I don't really though. get that. Cause I, th- I don't think we were that bad in the first half. I thought we were okay. I thought we were okay in the first yeah, half. Yeah. Apart just from two, just two a couple of brave farts on set goals. pieces. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah no, I agree with that. pathetic goals and then... <clears throat> Um, yeah, I thought we were fine in the first half. Largely, obviously, not great, but I thought we were, we were okay. And if I feel like if we just stepped it up a bit, we could come back into the game, and that's what happened. Um, but yeah, the goals were bad. Onana on the first one, I don't know what he's doing, but I could say that for many goals that Onana's conceded this season. Um, the second one, just Paul Mark from a corner again. 
but these are set pieces. We're, we're, we're just a very poor team at conceding set pieces. Another reason why I'm done with Ten Hag. I just don't see why. I don't. Set pieces are one thing you can control. You can control how you defend a set piece, and we defend them so poorly routinely. At least once per game, if not twice, someone will have a free header from a corner, and it, it comes like night and day come. It just happens every time. But this goes um, way back, right? Didn't we have one what? season under Ole where we had the worst record for conceding set-piece goals? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it feels like it's a forever problem now, but... Yeah, yeah. And, you know, now we're new players. But, yeah, there was a lot of this killer, but, like you said, in the Anfield game. You've noted Varane and Evans played well, but then Varane got ill, was not available. He had to shuffle around. Hoyland scores that first goal. Then he's ill. He's out, and then that's why Anthony ends up back in the team. No, but I don't know. Uh, I, I disagree with that. Hoyland's ill. Fair enough. He can come out. Anything can happen instead of Anthony playing. Lit- literally anything can happen. I don't. You could put. I don't know. What's that? Cam 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 Cambawala? Was that? Is that how you pronounce <laughs> yeah. it? You yeah. put him up front. I don't care. Literally, literally anything can happen <coughs> other than Anthony going on the right. Put Hannibal on the right wing. He'll have a much better game than Anthony. I, I, I promise you that right now. He's an absolutely dreadful footballer. And he should not. He has no business starting against Man United. Absolutely zero get zero business starting against Man United. I do think that Palestri should have had more game time by now. Whenever he's come in, I thought he's looked lively. You know, he's not been amazing, but I thought he's done enough compared to Anthony to be getting some chances. And he's not really had any. Plus, all of a sudden, Ahmad is back in the squad. Massive plus. And seems to have gone straight ahead of Palestri because he came on uh, for the last few minutes of the last match. Uh, so he all of a sudden is there. So it looks like Ten Hag doesn't really rate Palestri, which I think is a shame because I kind of like him as a player. Uh, you know, he works hard and he is a creative player. And that's what we keep lacking. He is somebody who's more likely to assist than to score himself. Whereas Garnacho, Anthony uh... are always trying to score themselves. But anyway, I'm glad to get Ahmad back. I want to see more of him. I think he's an exciting oh, yeah, player. I'm, I'm... Ahmad. Missed him, for sure. In front of the queue now, on the right wing, Ahmad. Well, apart from maybe Ganacho, who was excellent. Probably our best performance on the right wing all season from Ganacho against Villa. So maybe That's another he's weird one. one. Why hasn't Ganacho been tried on the right wing already? Seems a bit bizarre that it's taken I think this he has. long. I think he's had a couple of like fleeting times on the right wing, but nothing Not more sustained. than like 10 minutes but even or then, like, he, has his, he has his best game of the season on the right wing. Then what happens the next game? He's gone back onto the gone back onto the left. Rashford has his best game of the season on the on the left wing against Villa. What happens after that? Put him up front. Like, how does that make sense? Just to get Anthony in the team, that makes no sense. And yeah, you can say, well, we don't have a striker. Put McTominay up front. Play a false nine. Do do something else. Play Bruno as a false nine. You know, just do something. You think, okay, these two players have had really good games in these positions. Why move them around? Uh, it, these things just baffle me. They just absolutely baffle me. I mean, look, I, I, I totally think that putting Rashford up front when Hoyland was out, Martial is not available, was the best option. But I do agree with you that I would have rather seen Palestri. I would have rather seen uh, Ahmad. I would have rather seen whatever, Bruno shifted out wide and throw somebody else in. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of done with Anthony as well. He, you know, he had a slight pickup in form, but it was just kind of working harder and not being absolutely awful. But yeah, no goals, no assists, not really even getting close to them on either occasion. Actually, there had been one ball that just came in my mind now. He played for Garnacho in one of these games where Garnacho could have scored, but it's the only... I think the West Ham game, that was the West Ham game, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. And uh, Garnacho should have done better. But yeah, 
you know, apart from, like you say, it's the exception that proves the rule that he's not very good, basically. Uh, and yeah, it is, of course, one of the main reasons people are getting at the manager because they're saying, look, this is the manager's choice. Uh, we paid an absolute crazy amount of money for him. Although I would say I'm pretty sure that wasn't the manager's choice. Uh, he has picked the players. But, you know, this always goes back to our recruitment. And yeah, we'll talk a lot more about that and, you know, our setup and our board in the second part of the podcast. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Anthony should not be starting these games in a hope now that Ahmad is available that he won't do. Uh, but, you know, we still had that problem all through this Christmas period. You play a good game, then somebody else goes out. He's had to change the team again. It's been like that all season where he's barely been able to stick with the same lineup. Uh, um, and, you know, you mentioned Kambawala. You know, he was a shock starter for that game at West Ham. Um, I thought he did all right. 19-year-old kid thrown in there. He did pretty well. For, uh, I don't you don't say you know the goals are really on him in that game, and yeah, definitely one for the future. He's a French international. I think he's been in the academy for a few years now. But yeah, I'd not heard much about him to be honest. I even keep half an eye on like the youth team. He's kind of pushed himself ahead of others. I think there's Ryan Bennett, who's another centre back, who's like youth team captain at the moment, and I think people thought he was kind of next in line for uh, if we were really needing emergency services in the centre-back area. But Kambawala is obviously impressed Ten Hag and got his chance. And yeah, I thought he did pretty well in that game. Yeah, I was only really watch, half watching the West Ham game because I was doing some visiting in South Africa. But from what I saw, he, he seemed all right. seemed quite assured um, in what was, again, another poor performance, really. And a game where not much happened apart from their goals. Um yeah, not not cab. The, the first goal was was it the second goal that was um, Menu making a mistake? I think it was the second goal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was shame for him. You know, great yeah. to have him in the team, and he's generally done well, and that kind of thing can happen. Uh, I mean, in a way, it's kind of good. It wasn't the vital goal that lost the game. Mm. Um, you know, that yeah, was not, yeah. Not too worried about that. That that sort of stuff will happen. You know, he's nineteen. Get over it fast. I'm sure he will. Um, can happen, so it's not not nothing to nothing to write him off over or anything. No, definitely not. And in fact, yeah, mentioning Maynu, you know, I keep remembering little moments from some of these games. Uh, he came off as sub in that Villa game and was really trying to get the crowd going as he kind of came off. And it's great to see that kind of thing from you know our academy graduates. Uh, and I do think Ten Hag might be kind of looking ahead for the future. You know, there's a lot of young players around now. If Maynu's playing, Garnacho. Uh, Kambawala gets a chance. Hannibal gets... There was at one point, I think, Hannibal, Gore, Kambawala, Mainu, Garnacho were all kind of involved in a game. You know, when you add in the likes of Hoyland as well, who's obviously very young, there is kind of reasons that you might look to the future. But yeah, you're telling me you're basically done with Ten Hag now. You'd already kind of started moving towards that point. I know last time you were on the podcast, you weren't saying Ten Hag out, but you were saying kind of, I won't be that bothered if he does go uh i at this point i'm not going to say that i want to change the manager but i would not i don't think he can complain now if he goes uh too many losses too many of the same kind of errors you know if you're not learning from those mistakes if you're conceding the same amount the same goals again and again and again then yeah at that point then the manager has to start taking responsibility but I will still say that I think the main problem this season has been injuries, that he has not been able to stick with the same team constantly. Even, you know, you win a game, as I say, even just in this run, each time we've had a half-decent result, 
he's then had to shuffle up the pack because of illness or injury. And yeah, for me, that is still one of the biggest problems. Um, as I said, we will talk in the second part of this podcast all about Sergeant Ratcliffe and Ineos coming in. But we know that Sergeant Ratcliffe was at Old Trafford yesterday, has met with Eric Ten Hag. Eric Ten Hag said they spoke for hours. So we're not talking about a five, 10 minute kind of hello. They're obviously going deep, deep down into it. And it looks now, yeah, it's going to be all up to Sergeant Ratcliffe and his Ineos team to decide what happens with the manager and stuff like that. But when you say you're done, are you saying you expect him to be sacked like immediately? No, I don't expect him to be sacked necessarily. Um, especially with Ineos coming in. Um I don't think that I think they'll want to get a, a hold of things and a grip of things first. I don't think they'll make anything. I don't think they'll want to be seen as making rash decisions, even though I personally wouldn't call it a rash decision. I'm ultimately. I mean, I, I get wanting him to stay in, and I get the idea that you know everything that United's a mess, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it is, and the injuries and everything. I get all that, but ultimately, me personally, I've just lost complete faith in him. And at that point, I what's the point of me saying that he should continue just to? tick a box I mean I just there's too many things this season we've there's no style of, we've got no style of play that anyone can discern um some of the decisions are baffling the complete absence of midfield is just terrible some of the signings are just appalling I, I get that's not him that's like him and others but he I mean he does have a say in he he does have a say in the situation it is him who's recommending Anthony and if you you have to question the judgment of someone who's recommended Anthony for me. Like that, yeah. There's a judgment call there. We bought Mason Mount this summer for 55 million. Again, that's not him. He's played eight games. So really, we didn't really need to buy him. We could have bought him in January. Now it probably would have cost a lot less. Um, yeah, yeah. But if somebody's injured, the end of the season, yeah, you, you can't blame nothing. the manager for somebody being I'm not injured. Not blaming though. the manager, but I'm saying have some sense and you could play. Actually, like. Does he have to buy Anthony for 80 million? Can he not say actually, lads? I've I've, I've seen Anthony for two years or whatever at Ajax. He's probably not worth £80 million. We should probably move on. And I get the idea that managers just want players and they don't really care about money, but maybe they should. Um, yeah, but if you remember, I mean, those were basically panic buys. It was Casemiro and buys, Anthony. After we this... lost two matches, uh, you know, the story goes that the club were not planning to buy any more players last summer. And it's only because we lost those two matches that they then opened it up. And yeah, spent 150 million quid basically on the two of them. Um, Ten Hag does obviously have to take some responsibility for it. But as I say, this still comes down to our board, our transfer negotiation, overplaying. And in fact, probably I'll say, let's take a quick break there because then we're going to get into exactly this in the next part of the show. Back for part two of the show. This is going to be all about the takeover I mean, it's not actually a takeover, but yeah, Sir Jim Ratcliffe has bought 25% off our shares from the Glazer family. Uh, he's also offering for 25% of the shares that are listed in New York, but it's those Glazer shares that are the most valuable and gives him a load of voting rights. It's still not actually fully done. There's a whole load of like approval processes and regulatory stuff that needs to be done, but They've already started work. Uh, Surgeon Ratcliffe was at Old Trafford yesterday as we speak. As we already mentioned, he met with Eric Ten Hag for at least a couple of hours. Uh, he met with some of the other players, some of the staff. Apparently, he gave quite a rousing speech to all of the staff and was applauded off. Um, he also went to Carrington, 
uh, was pictured meeting some of the women's team there, Captain Katie Zellum and a couple of the other players. And yeah, he's made a couple of statements all about bringing back the glory times, being a Manchester boy, etc. But yeah, you know, talk is cheap and we want to see what exactly he does. Uh, as well as Sir Jim, there's also been Sir David Brailsford, who's been pictured in the stands in the last two or three matches, maybe. I think three matches. <clears throat> and was actually sat right next to Alex Ferguson for one of them as well, I noticed. So yeah, he's obviously going to be involved in our board. Uh, Ineos have basically bought two seats at our board now. Uh, there was the official statement that confirmed that Ineos are going to get control over the footballing side of the club. How exactly this all works, we will remain to be seen. Uh, it was also confirmed that he's going to put in an extra $300 million for the kind of infrastructure side, which is good to hear, although it's nowhere near the amount we're actually going to need to be building a new stadium. You know, there you're looking like one, $1. 1.5 maybe even more, according to some estimates. So yeah, still not clear where all that's going to come from. But yeah, he is committing money, which is more than the Glazers have done in the whole time they've ever been around. So yeah, we have to give credit for that. And yeah, we want some change. So I'm happy to see some change. Uh, you know, it's no secret that I was back in the Qatari bid. But yeah, we can forget about that. This is now done. He's in. He's already starting his work. And yeah, I'm happy. I want to hear. I want to see the changes. I want to see what exactly happens. Um I still have questions about what's going on with the stadium and what's happening with this money. But it sounds like after he's put in this 300 million, it's actually going to take him to nearly 29% of the shareholding. It'll make him by far the single biggest shareholder. But the Glazer family together can still outvote him on anything. So he is now going to be the biggest single shareholder. All six Glazer family members will still have partial shareholding they're all selling a bit of their shares to him basically this was one of the big things that everybody was waiting to see because some of the stories said that a couple of the glazers were going to sell out completely and had no interest and he was going to buy their shares and that maybe the likes of joel and avran were keeping hold of them but it's not what happening he's buying a small part of each one of the six glazer shares but all of them together are still a stronger block than him uh there's all sorts of clauses and things about outvoting each other what happens if somebody else comes in with a bid what's going to happen with these shares going forward um, another thing people were waiting to see though was if there was any clear path for him to go to majority ownership there isn't really there's a few kind of washy clauses about him potentially buying more shares and basically saying that he should get first refusal over buying any more shares but there is no clear path at the moment to him being majority owner which is a bit of a disappointment for me, but he does at least have control of the sporting side. And yeah, that's the main thing I'm sure you've also wanted to see, right, Imran? It's different people coming into the board, different decision makers. Yeah, and just a, a re, reshaping of the structure, it's reshaping of the, the football side of things, the recruitment side of things, just generally doing a much better job than the Glazers have been doing. Um, it's good to see that he will be the single biggest shareholder. I assume this is a, I mean, this is obviously a big, um, the first step in him becoming probably owning 51%. You'd think, I, I imagine the future will be he will own 51% and the Glazers will own 49%, and then it'll stop there because the Glazers will still want to, well, have their share of the pie, basically. Uh, but I feel like Ratcliffe's not going to be in this unless he takes over. The majority which i think will happen over the next few years um for how much 
and how quick that happens, I'm not sure. This is just me guessing. I can't see why Ratcliffe would want to get involved at just 29% for the rest of his life. You know what I mean? Um, well, he, he is getting full control over, yeah, apparently. But, I mean, he's but getting full control over the sporting side. He's only got maybe full that's control until the Glazers say you don't have full control anymore. That That is the worry. That is the worry. It You know, that technically, they're saying that, that Ineos are taking control of the sporting side. But in practice, if the Glazers want to outvote him, want to change those things, they still have the majority of shares and can probably change everything. I mean, I will say, because it's been the Christmas period, I haven't had time to go through every little clauses in all these things. Uh, just had a brief kind of look at everything and a general idea of the big structure of what's going on. But that is the big stuff. 25% and it'll move towards 29% by end of year two. But to get towards 51%, you're looking at maybe five years down the line. Like it's not going to yeah. happen before that. Uh, but it's just so precarious yeah, position we'll otherwise. If he, if he owns 29%, say he does takes over football operation for, for three years and we're doing terribly, the Glazier will say, actually, you know what, we'll take it up back over now and then what? He's stuck. So there must be some something to, some sort of assurances in that the Glazers won't just take football control back from him. Must be. I can't I can't see why. He's a businessman in the end of the day. I can't see why he'd agree to it otherwise. I think the way, if you look at some of the clauses, it's basically drawn this up as a two-year deal. Right. So it's kind of in a way they've given him two years to say, right, you come and see if you can do better. And to be honest, I can't see how anyone could do that much worse. <laughs> it, you know, it doesn't even seem that difficult. You know, the biggest problem has always been that the Glazers have not prom- have not bought in the best footballing people to run our club. You know, when Sir Alex Ferguson left, we ended up with Ed Woodward. We were kind of happy when they finally got rid of Woodward, even though it was way too late. But all that happened was they promoted somebody internally, Richard Arnold, who'd been around for years and years and was definitely part of all their failures as well. They also made another internal kind of promotion in John Murtaugh and decided that that was the way to go. Whereas there's a lot of noises about different names being thrown around that Ineos are going to bring in some bigger names with big track records at different clubs. And yeah, that is exciting to me. I mean, until any of them are confirmed, we can't say too much about them. And we did mention some of these names on a past podcast. But yeah, the only one who we can see is already involved. He was at Old Trafford with Sir Jim yesterday is Sir David Brailsford. And for anyone who doesn't know who he is, he's kind of the Ineos sporting director. He's most best known for his work with cycling, um, but has been involved at Nice over in France as well. But yeah, I think he's just a general kind of right-hand man in all sporting stuff for Sir Jim. And is the one who'll probably be seen more and more at Old Trafford. But I think we're still awaiting a different announcement on who the new CEO will be. Uh, names being thrown around like this Jean Claude Blanc and these other guys for sporting director Dan Ashworth, Paul Mitchell, Dougie Friedman. These kind of names are being thrown around. And yeah, let's wait and see what happens. But at least we're hearing names from people who've got some track record. That's what I'm happy to hear and happy to see. And, you know, as we started talking about in the first part of the podcast, the major issue for us has all been about transfer negotiation, always buying players too late, always overplaying, often buying the wrong players, no joint up thinking, going from one manager to another. Uh, and that is the thing for me. Is it time to just start from scratch again when Ten Hag has already bought in some of his players? You know, that is a big thing. He's already got, what, five, six players there. And otherwise, you go back to square one with a manager who doesn't want any of them. Uh, I mean, I would. Uh, I think some of them are not long for this club anyway. 
I'll say it for the I'll say his name for the last time and then I'll be doing Anthony, not long for the club, so it doesn't really matter. Players like Onana, Martinez, Mount, these are like players that you can see working under any man. They don't need just Ten Hag. I think another manager can get a, get stuff out of them as well. So I don't think that's an issue. And then you've got what Casemiro around these are, you know, experienced players again. Ericsson, not necessarily hinged on the way Ten Hag wants to play. Even if we, I mean, nobody even knows what the way Ten Hag wants to play anyway. So how how does that affect things? Who knows? But no, I I think we do know how Ten Hag wants to play. We've not managed to do it. Uh, he's obviously talked about the transition. Uh, he wants a high press to be winning the ball up in that kind of last third and creating that chance very quickly. He this season has made that big move to a more attacking midfield, which has not worked at all, but he's stuck with it nearly the whole season. That, for me, is my biggest issue with him, that even though it's continually not working, he still hasn't changed it. He did for Anfield, but he was kind of forced to because Bruno was out. But I would have expected him to change that earlier because it's been pretty clear by now that it is not working, that we can see too many chances, that teams just find it too easy to walk through our midfield, create chances time and time again. Uh, so that, for me, is my biggest issue, that he's not gone a bit more pragmatic in that kind of midfield area. Um, and yeah, let's see. Look, some players are coming back, as I say. Ericsson came back in this run at least. Casemiro and Martinez are now in full training. Um, I don't know. Is there anybody? Luke, Luke Shaw's Shaw. then been missing again. Yep. I'm not sure where Luke exactly Shaw he's at. will be back this month, apparently, both of them. That's why we've sent Regulon back to Spurs, <coughs> because both of them should be fit, apparently. Yeah, that was some of the other news. Uh, Donny van der Beek has finally gone. Uh, he's off to Anstrak Frankfurt till the end of the season. He, did he play it all this season? I think he had a couple I think of he came like off five, the bench. ten minute cameos. He came off the bench in one of the games, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he did. And then he's been sat on the bench recently, which I even thought was a bit weird since he was leaving. Because I kind of thought, you know, let Dan Gore or somebody else sit on the bench if he's going anyway. But he never came on, so it made no difference. <laughs> Sergio Reguion has been sent back to Spurs. That, to me, is slightly weird because... We're constantly having these injury issues, constantly losing players every time we get on the pitch. Uh, so, yeah, I start feeling that we might be lacking a bit of squad depth there. Um, he was preferring Dallow, though, to Reguillon, even on the left side. So, yeah, maybe that's part of it. But I'm hoping that this means they've got some other loan signing lined up because mm. you're only allowed to have two loan signings. So we've already got Amrabat. We had Reguillon and... I'm hoping it's another loan signing and I'm hope, hoping it's a striker. You know, you know, it, all the way since this summer, even before we bought an Amrabat, I said, I think we need another striker ahead of another midfielder. He went for the midfielder and yeah, we've struggled up front the whole season. It's been our biggest problem the whole year has been scoring goals and we just haven't scored enough for them. You know, in fact, in that run of four games, we went, was it four matches without scoring a goal? Yeah. And it was that Villa game was then the fifth one and we did score three goals in that game but yeah we were getting towards our fifth game without having scored a goal which is absolutely crazy uh, and yeah they partly made up with it with three goals there and one against Forest. but still this season we've not scored anywhere near enough goals I think in the Premier League we're joint bottom with Sheffield no, United Sheffield or... United and Burnley have scored less we're third joint bottom yeah 
all right, all right, yeah. Which is, which is I mean, the fact that I have to clarify to that is still a nonsense. So you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's but I agree. I think we've sent Regulon back on loan majorly because we want to. We'll probably want to or have the option to loan someone in at some point this window. And yeah, he wasn't playing anyway. It's not like Ten Hag really fancied him, and I don't really get that because I think he's done all right anytime he's coming. Uh, when he started, he was actually very good, and then. He's not really been in the team. I think he's a better left back than Dallow, but obviously Ten Hag disagrees with that. So fair enough. There's, if he's not, if he's not playing, there's no point in him being here. So yeah, send him back. Fine with that. Uh, especially if it well, means we can play alone. He's still needed for just squad cover for backup. You know, I don't think our injury issues are anywhere near over. You know, we hoped they were over like a month ago, and then more players get injured, more players get ill. So I'm hoping we don't regret this, <clears throat> unless there's a plan. We do have. We don't have many players out on loan at the moment. But the two players that we do have out loan on the moment are fullbacks. Alvaro Fernandez is out in Spain. At Granada, he's playing about 50% of the time, doing pretty well, as I understand it. He's actually often, though, being played kind of uh, almost in a more attacking left-sided role. I was just looking at some of the stats of where he's been playing. And then Brandon Williams is at Ipswich, who are doing pretty well in the championship under our old guy, Paul McKenna. And I think he's playing about half the time as well. Uh, Sorry, he scored a couple of goals and has been doing okay. So yeah, it could be an option if we like just to need somebody for kind of cover. And I think either of them could do a kind of cover job if we really need it. Um, But yeah, striker for me is the area that we really need to be sorting out. So it's not clear at the moment whether Ineos are immediately going to get involved in this transfer window. As I say, officially, the deal is not done. So I don't know <clears throat> what the kind of rules and regulations are. As I say, Sir Jim has showed up at Old Trafford. So as far as he's concerned, it's a formality. And they're already in- introducing themselves to everybody there, telling them what their plans are. So yeah, in that way, they are starting work. But I don't know if they're allowed to actually start doing things like negotiating with other clubs and things like that yet. That kind of fine detail is not clear. I mean, they can... Even if they're not technically allowed to, I'm sure they can do it from the shadows. Like, um, I'm sure there'll be there'll be ways of mean ways around it for them to have an impact. I do think we'll get a striker in of some sort this window, probably on loan. And if we don't, that's quite terrible. Um, we just have to. Um, Highland needs to have someone to take the load off him, and Marshall's barely a footballer, so you know. Yeah, Martial was mentioned in press conference yesterday by Eric Ten Hag. He also confirmed that uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Hannibal and Lindelof, that we've all activated a one-year extension on all of their contracts. We've not done so for Martial or Varane, who do also have the same one-year option. And I think reading between the lines that they're either looking to offload them this window, if we can get any money for them, or I think there might be Maybe they're being offered that kind of David De Gea deal that if you want to stay, you need to take like a 50% pay cut. Uh, And for somebody like Varane, I'd kind of be okay with that. Uh, You know, he is good when he plays. Just the problem is he's very injury prone and is only available about half the time. Martial, though, I'm ready to cut losses. The only problem is, is as we're saying all the time, we're totally light up front. We haven't got enough options. So we're kind of still, even if we bought in somebody on loan, I kind of still wouldn't be confident in getting rid of Martial yet. Uh, in the summer, I would, because you'd hope that we can 
bring somebody else in. But I think we're still going to need him, as I say. We're still going to need him till the end of the season. He has scored, what, two goals? Or was it only one? He scored against Everton like he always does. Has that been his scored... only goal of the season, Martial? I think he scored two. I think he has scored two. Uh, yeah, so anyway, he has contributed in some way, minimally, but yeah, he is still part of our I mean, we should definitely, we should definitely wheel him out for the Everton home game. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, I don't really want to see him playing football for us. Yeah, but as I say, we're desperate, you know. We haven't got that many options, and until we get more players in, we still have to rely on somebody like anti-Martial, which is, yeah, a sad state of affairs, but that is where we're at. Uh, we will take another quick break there, come back and, yeah, talk a bit more about what's going on in the transfer market, the matches coming up, uh, yeah, a little bit more about the takeover, etc. Back for part three of your New Year podcast. So, yeah, around that transfer window, I think, yeah, we both agreed that striker has to be our number one priority right now. Yeah, it has to be only priority, really. I mean, the rest of the squad needs a lot of work that probably needs time and a window, but we just need a, we need a striker up front. Ideally, someone with some experience, someone who's been around the block, someone who can actually put the ball in the net, and we probably can't spend $100 million on Ivan Tony or whatever that's going to cost. So got to be a decent deal at the same time so i don't know who i don't know who that is i'm not sure what striker fits well that i don't know yeah but... as i say i'm not like the transfer expert maybe we'll get jamie or ushwin in for the next show but uh i've seen links to timo werner i've seen links to um muller at bayern munich also eric chupo motting mm who's still kicking around over there. They are the kind of signings we have tended to make in recent years. Stuff Some old timer just Eric knocking Cooper around. Martin. Yeah. 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 And uh, his career went massive. He's got the best agent, you know, how he went from Stoke to like PSG Bayern Munich. That's like a pretty incredible uh, step up in your CV. A uh, couple of other names I've seen around, but as I say, I'm not the one who's going to go into all the transfer Muppetry stuff. Um, as I say, we did extend Hannibal's contract. It's not clear if that's because they want him to stay around or he might be going out on loan. Again, I don't think we should be losing any players on loan. I think we need more players. We've been down to bare bones so many times. Uh, you know, our bench has looked very weak on several occasions this season. And yeah, we've already at the moment shipped out Donny van der Beek and Sergio Reguilon. Uh, so yeah, we'll see where we go. But yeah, one thing to confirm though is that Hannibal Medjbury is not going to African Cup of Nations. He was selected for Tunisia, but apparently the coach said he's decided to focus on the club. He's not actually a regular player for Tunisia. Kind of tends to just get a few minutes from the bench now and again. So I think that might be part of his decision. Onana is going, but later than he should do. And Amrabat will be over there as well. Um it's still a, Onana, it's a weird decision for Hannibal, though, because really he'll miss like three games. Four if they got to the final, I guess. But, it's, I mean, he'll probably play maybe once off the bench in that time for us. So, weird decision. Um, the Onana thing... It might be because they're looking for a loan deal for maybe, him. Yeah. And that, that's why he wants to stay in the country. We'll find out in the next few weeks. As I say, for me, if he can get a loan deal at a top division club, then I think it's worthwhile. He was on loan last year at Birmingham. Uh, did pretty well. I don't think he needs to be wasting time with another championship loan. It has to be a Premier League team or, yeah, League One, La Liga, something like that. 
if he can do that, then it might be worthwhile. And maybe we've got Dan Gore, who is pretty decent, has had a few minutes, who could step up to be that kind of cover on the bench. So I think that might be what they're looking at with Hannibal. But yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out. But then, yeah, the one that's been controversial is Onana. Uh, I think I was kind of looking forward to seeing a bit of this by India, who's our reserve goalie, who we've seen not even one minute from from the whole season. I remember early in the season, we had Carabao Cup game. I thought he was going to play there. We also had a couple of occasions where we played like three matches within a week. And I thought maybe he'd get thrown in for a few minutes there, but we've seen nothing of him. And yeah, it's a bit strange, especially given Onana's erratic form that he's had no game time at all. I mean, he is a Turkish international. He's not their absolute regular goalie. I think he plays sometimes. But yeah, surely he has to be semi-decent and surely you want him to get some kind of games because, yeah, he might be needed. Um, I, I, I mean, he must be terrible. That's all I can think of. He must be really, really shit if we can't trust him to play one game against Spurs. Um. I just, I don't get it. And I, I think, so there'll be two ways of looking at this. There'll be the way of looking at it where people will say, oh, you know, that's really good of Onana. He wants to, really wants to give to the club and work hard and like give everything he can for us. And and I get that. I get that opinion. I go the complete opposite way though. And I think it's a weird mentality in that he's, one, not trusting his teammates to get the job done without him. And two, probably at such possibly at such a, a low ebb that he thinks if he doesn't play a game he might lose his place which would be a very fragile mentality to have so you'd hope it's not that but playing one game for us and then going to Cam- going to uh, where's the it's not in it's in Ivory Coast isn't it and going it's to in Ivory Coast, Coast yeah and playing a game the next day just over 24 hours later I don't, I don't see how that's a good thing i don't think that's a good thing for his country um at all in terms of preparing I for think, a tournament. You know, I don't think it's a good thing for us because he's got he probably, probably have one 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 mind on, you know, gotta get a plane after this, gotta get to gotta get to AFCON, gotta play in a game. It's not it's not the great, great preparation for either game. Um yeah, I think it's ridiculous. It's actually now not that clear. Initially the story came out that he was gonna stay for Wigan and Spurs. Eric Ten Hag yesterday then basically said he's definitely here for Wigan. And we're still under discussions about when exactly he's going. So I think there is still a possibility that he's not around for Spurs. And as you say, to me, it doesn't make any sense that you're playing a Premier League game one day and you're supposed to be playing in the African Cup of Nations the next day. Uh, I can't see that happening. I can't see Cameroon agreeing to that unless he's not going to start for them anyway. And of course, he had had some controversy. He was on international exile when he first signed for us. So maybe their manager isn't that bothered. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens over there. Amrabat is definitely going. He's been injured for us anyway. I don't know if he's still an injury doubt, but I do know that he is off to the AFCON. Uh, the only other one, Ahmad, is not going to be over there uh, because he's kind of just come back from injury, I guess. You know, that's only his first minutes for us the whole season. So, yeah, he's not been selected. He is normally an Ivory Coast player, but yeah, he'll not be out there. So it's just the two players we're losing. Um, out of interest, yeah. Our next couple of games are Wigan, FA Cup on Monday night. And then we play Spurs at home on the weekend. Spurs are losing three players uh, because it's not just AFCON. It's also the Asia Cup. So they're going to be missing Son, which is obviously the hugest miss for them. And they're also missing Basuma and Saar. So, yeah, it is going to affect them more than it's affecting us. 
And yeah, several teams, of course, Salah going off for Liverpool. So yeah, quite a few big names heading out for these two tournaments. Uh, and yeah, we take a bit of a hit, but not too much, not too much. But yeah, the transfer window is still open. We see what happens over there. We'll see whether Ineos can have that big difference already. You know, we have a big seat, just we don't have a CEO at the moment. So that's why I'm not even sure who is dealing with these kind of things for us. Uh, Patrick Stewart. And yeah, everybody's made all the Star Trek in X-Men jokes you can about this guy. But yeah, Patrick Stewart, who was kind of our head of legal, is kind of our temporary CEO at the moment. But yeah, we have seen that Sir Dells Brailsford is hanging around Old Trafford a lot at the moment. So maybe he is already making those decisions via Sir Jim Ratcliffe. And yeah, this will be the first picture if we see if the club are starting to do things differently. Do we bring in the right players? Have they already been working on things? Yeah, let's wait and see. I don't think anybody's made any major signings yet in this transfer window, have they? No, not that I know of. Um, I think it will be a quiet one for most. You know, Arsenal buying a striker's on the big one as well, but I think they actually might go out and buy one. What happens to Ivan Tony is obviously the big thing. Um, for us, it's, I mean, there's probably no money to spend anyway because of FFP, so loan loans it is and maybe someone might go out maybe if Saudi come in with big money for someone maybe you could say but I don't think really in a position to be selling Varane or whatever that seems to be the big name linked with moving away but yeah for us I mean we've got to keep our we barely have a squad anyway so we've got to keep our players and probably add add a body if we can <coughs> but I mean ultimately it's, it's what we're even playing for now it's coming to I just don't see us one reason I don't think Ten Hag will get sacked is obviously of the Ineos coming in and wanting to, you know, see how things play out. But we're we're so inconsistent that I don't think we're going to go on a a big losing run to even get there. You know, I think we'll we'll win one, we'll lose one, we'll win one, we'll lose one, and I think that that's probably going to be us for the rest of the season. To be honest with you, I think our next games, I see us, we'll probably, you know. We'll beat Wigan, I think. Then we'll beat Spurs. Then we'll probably lose the next game. Then we'll win the next game after that. I think I think there's a run where you can see us quite easily just winning, losing, winning, losing. And I, can't, I can't think of what the fixtures are off the top of my head, but feels like that's what well, we'll do. Well, after, yeah, Wigan in the cup, then we're at home to Tottenham, away to Wolves, home to West Ham, away to Villa. And that takes us kind of to mid-February. Um, so yeah, that is our run of games, and yeah, we could win and we could lose any one of those and that, games, but that's just, and I really wouldn't be that surprised. That's just us, isn't it? I mean, the consistency is not there. The consistency of our players is not there. Ericsson came in against Villa was brilliant, I thought, against Villa, really good, and then just terrible against um, where we play against Forest, like really terrible performance. So that's and that's every player, you know. Bruno will be great one game, rubbish the next game. Rashford, okay, he's been rubbish all the games, but then he came back against Villa, played well, then was pretty anonymous against Palace. Um, I want to say Palace. It wasn't Palace. Keep against Forest, albeit he was up front. And he did score a goal, to be fair to him. A very well-taken goal, you have to be said. I don't think many people actually thought we were going to put that in. <laughs> um, no, I mean, but... based on this season, you would not have expected to. So that's why it's really nice to see him actually get a goal. As I say, he was the kind of one bit of bright spark from that game. Uh, look, we're currently sat in eighth position. That has been the thing that's kept Eric Tenag in this job because we were still weren't too far off top four, basically. And, you know, it was only like a month ago we were saying, oh, we're three points behind Manchester City. So how can we be talking about sacking the manager? But now, though, nine points off fourth place. 
So we're now starting to get a bit far off that point. It could be fifth place, but then even then, yeah, we're eight points over there. You know, we're currently in joint kind of seventh on 31. Spurs are in fifth on 39 and Arsenal and then Man City are on 40 points. So we're not dead in that top four race. We're still around there, but we're going to have to start putting the run together. We're going to have to start beating some of the bigger teams and those six pointers to have any chance of it. So, yeah, you say, what is there left to play for? And obviously the FA Cup starts this weekend. Uh, January is a weird month. At the moment, we only have two fixtures, Wigan and Tottenham partly due to this kind of winter break. They could, if we beat Wigan, there will be another FA Cup game at the end yeah. of January. So we could have had three matches this month. Um, but yeah, after eight matches in December to then have only two or three games is a little bit weird. Um, but yeah, maybe it gives Ten Hag time to start working with the Ineos guys, gives them time to start to focus on the transfer market and see what they can wheel and deal. As you say, unfortunately, we're probably just looking at loan signings. Uh, the women's transfer window is also open. The women have been on a full kind of uh, Christmas break. There's not been any games for a couple of weeks and the WSL kicks off again pretty soon. But yeah, the big thing over there is Mary Earps. She is the kind of news at the moment. Her contract is up in the summer. She has been linked with leaving. She won BBC Sports Personality of the Year as well in this kind of period. She's won everything this year. She was one like best goalie in the world. She was up in one of the top few of Ballon d'Or, player of the season, everything. She's won everything, everything, everything. And I I hope she doesn't go to Arsenal. If she goes abroad, I could accept that for a new kind of challenge. At her age, she hasn't actually won that much as a club player. So yeah, I could totally understand. Even if she went to France or Spain, I would wish her well. She goes to Arsenal like Alicia Russo. I will not be happy at all. But yeah, let's see. Mary, like I say, Mary Oops is the big news on the women's side. And yeah, it was good to see. Surgeon Ratcliffe did meet with some of the women's players as well. He's made some good statements. We'll see what happens over there. I mean, I generally, when new owners come in, and even though he's not a new owner, I'm going to call him the new owner. He's the new guy in charge. They do end up changing the manager pretty soonish, don't yeah. they? I mean, it happened at Newcastle. Steve Bruce was in place. They gave him a bit of a chance, but they changed to Eddie Howe pretty quickly. I remember as well at Manchester City when these guys first came in. There normally is. Whoever comes in, they want to bring their own guys. They not, they'll give somebody a chance, but if it doesn't happen quickly, then normally they'll go and change. Uh, I think... So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see yeah, how it goes. Yeah, maximum I see Ten Hag lasting is till the end of the season, maximum. Um, unless things drastically improve we get we maybe win the FA Cup and finish in the top four then he'll probably stick around but I don't see that happening personally um at which point we'll probably have a fairly middling season probably finish sixth or fifth and I think they'll probably say yeah cheers Ten Hag but we'll we'll bring our own man in now um it might happen before the end of the season depending on if we go on a bad run but again I just don't see us going on a too terrible run because we're, we're that we're that inconsistent and largely a bit rubbish but then have moments of being all right that I think he'll just muddle his way through to the end of the season I think yeah I I would give him now to the end of the season right new guys have come in we know that has been the major problem for us he's had long discussions with them uh 
uh, we don't know whether Surgeon Ratcliffe has been happy with, he, uh, with what he's been hearing. But I think they might give him to the end of the season. I think he did enough good work last year to be having a bit of rope room, basically, to go forward. And I would give him till the end of the season. But he would need to get close to top four or win the FA Cup for me to stay on for the year after. So it's kind of up to him. He gets till the end of the year to turn it around. I don't think it's beyond possibility. You know, Casemiro's coming back. Martinez is coming back. Rashford suddenly looks like he might be able to hit some form. So, yeah, you know, I'm always, I could always say, I'm always having my glass half full and hopeful and optimist of what could be coming, whereas I know you're all, 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 you're always the opposite. So we'll see uh, which way comes through. Uh, and, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't last the season. I wouldn't be surprised if Ineos want to change. And I know we're getting linked with a guy that you've been a big favourite of, Graham Potter. Uh, get him in. You, get him in. You know, should, have been know. in should have been in last year. No, <laughs> Obviously, the Chelsea thing is... Uh... <laughs> A big hamper on Potter, and plus the personalities in our dressing room. You feel like it's got to be a big personality of a manager to to kind of control them. And you also would think end of the season you probably have a bigger pool of people you could learn away from other clubs, um, and then the big names will start rolling off. Ancelotti might not be at Madrid anymore. Uh, Zidane's still kicking around, though. Who knows who he wants to manage? Um, there's other names as well. I. I know people hate the idea, but I, I would love Diego Simeone. I really would. Um, people say Atletico play crap yeah, football, but they only play football honest. like that when they're up against teams who are better than them or in tough Champions League games, at which point, fine, play that kind of football. If it means getting through the Champions League, fair enough. Uh, in games, they score quite a lot of goals in games that they should win or against lower opposition. I mean, they just had a, a decent 4-3 barnstormer against Girona who were flying high in the... Uh, La Liga at the moment, so that's that's what that's what my my would pick would be. Um, but don't listen to me because I wanted Ten Hagen, so you know I'm a I'm a big flaky guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, look, we'll monitor it, and as I say, I think he should get to the end of the season, and then it's up to him if he can turn this around, get us back up towards that top four, get on a FA Cup run. Then yeah, maybe he gets the chance to work with the new board for the long term. But yeah, more importantly is that we get locked down, new CEO, some kind of sporting director, head of transfer, whatever. I mean, let's get them all. Let's get them all. We want a head of transfer. We want a CEO. We want a sporting director. I mean, we, we, we want them all. Let's get them all in. Uh, you know, there's no need to just pick one or two. We've been lacking these guys for so long. Let's just bring the whole lot of them in and just sort out, revolutionize what's been going on in our boardroom. Because, yeah, that has been the biggest problem for a yeah. long, long you say, time. You say I'm half empty. Uh, you say I'm glass half empty. I am quite positive about this. I think we are. I think stuff's going to get sorted out. And I think we'll be. I think in 12 months' time, we're going to be in a much better place as a club than we are now. But you don't think it'll be with Eric Ten I don't Ten think Hag. it'll be with Eric Ten Hag. And neither do you, to be fair. Neither do you. I uh, I am like 50-50 on it now. I think, as I said, I would not really moan if he got sacked. Whereas I was really upset when Ole got rid of, even though I realised it was probably the right decision at the time. I was also upset when Louis Van... I was one of the few who didn't want Louis Van Hal to go, even though Jose Mourinho, I was kind of okay with it. I'm at that kind of point, that kind of similar point. You know, I'm never one for sacking a manager mid-season. I always say, listen, let them get to the end of the season and then in the summer we reassess. Uh, so yes, generally is my position and it's still my position now. But 
I think we've lost that many games and had that many bad performances that he couldn't really complain if he was let go. But we've got so many issues above him that I'd prefer if they focused on that and see what we get to in the summer, basically. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, Yeah, I think we will wrap up there for this podcast. I know we've not been on as much as we wanted in the last month or so, but, yeah, it always happens this Christmas. And, yeah, we will come back to you regularly uh, coming forward for the rest of the year. Let's see what happens. But, yeah. Goodbye from me. Cheers, guys. Happy New Year. Sports Social Podcast Network.